Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, guys, this is going to be an exciting episode, uh, but let me do a little bit of housekeeping before we get to the good stuff. I um, want you guys to know that we do have an email address. We would love to hear your stories, get your questions, um, hear your prayer requests. You can send that to truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. That's truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. Um, also have a merchandise store, which is just fun stuff. If you like coffee mugs and t-shirts and things like that, you can check that out. That'll be in our show notes. Uh, and now what you've all been waiting for our special guest today, which lots of you like us will know, um, is Dr. Dustin Minch. Thank you for joining us, Dustin. No, thank you so much, uh, both Nathaniel and Eki. It's it's such a privilege to actually see you in the flesh and not just your avatar on social media. Absolutely. Well, brother, listen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to the audience. Um, where are you? Because you're not in the U.S. and that's a new move for you and your family. A little bit about where you're ministering and what you're doing. Yeah. So my wife and I, we actually live in southern Wales in a small little port city on the coast of the Atlantic called Porth Call. Uh, it's actually quite beautiful here. Now, how did we come from eastern Kentucky, the Appalachian Mountains, to Wales? Well, um, we serve a magnificent big God, and he has ministry around the world. And um, uh, last year, actually, we were invited to come by the president uh, of Union School of Theology here in Bridge End, Wales, uh, for me to assume the post of provost, and that's just a fancy academic term for vice president or chief academic officer, if you will. And uh, so, yeah, we moved, um, picked up everything that we owned, uh, left part of what we didn't own, and uh, hugged our family and said goodbye and moved 4,000 miles away in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. So it's been quite challenging, but God has been so good since we've been here and opening so many wonderful doors uh, for us in ministry, allowing me to preach under certain uh, coronavirus restrictions at the moment. Um, but we are just flourishing at the moment uh, in the ministry at Union. And so Union School of Theology is a um, school that has undergraduate all the way to PhD. Uh, I help with our faculty oversee all of that work, uh, as well as doing writing and other projects that uh, I am involved in. And you have your own podcast now that's fairly new, I think. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So it, it's something I'd thought about for a really long time and just never kind of pulled the trigger uh, on doing a podcast, but I, I wanted to do something devotional, something short, something that people can listen to on their way to work or when they're picking up the kids of the afternoon at school uh, in the bus line or whatever the case would be. And so, yeah, Walking Worthy, um, we just um, put out the 15th, I think, episode today. 
so God's been really good with that. And uh, it's getting a far reach, uh, which I'm just really amazed at kind of the feedback that I've had. Well, amen, brother. I was excited to see that podcast and we'll make sure we put a link to that in uh, our show notes for listeners and certainly would encourage folks to go to that. Well, brother, I want to jump right in and I want to start with what your um, one of the areas you're very well known for, and that is your usage of social media. Um, Social media is a it is just an animal of different sorts. Um, and, and, but brother, you have been consistent in not only just, um, putting out edifying tweets and contents, but in, in the way that you do it, um, and you have quite a following. And I think it's because people really appreciate your consistency and the types of message that you bring. And so a couple questions for, if we can just start right there, when it comes to using social media, what are some of the guidelines that you follow uh, before you post? What are some of the things that you think about when responding or not responding to other things? Well, um, Nathaniel, to be sh- to be absolutely honest, I'm I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> I've I've thought a lot about that, and people have really asked me that question. Uh, so a few years ago, I only had around 900 followers. Uh, and and didn't really post that much. Um, but I remember during a shepherd's conference at Grace Community Church, uh, it's been about three years ago now, I determined to grow the account by simply being consistent, what, mm. what you just said. Mm. So I was, I was just consistent, and I wanted to be consistent in just posting the truth. I wanted to have a social media account like I wanted to follow. And I followed very few that consistently edified, encouraged, uh, shown me scripture, taught me theological truths, helped me in my daily walk and growth with Christ. And so I just simply Mm -hmm. wanted to create an account, whatever that would look like, that would be an account that people would desire to follow and that something I could share the truth with. And so that, that was the goal from really the very beginning. I've always seen, Nathaniel, my, my calling as to shepherd people. Um, preeminently, I'm called to preach the word. Preeminently, I'm called uh, to serve the local church and to shepherd and to pastor people. Now, sometimes that means pointing out sin. Sometimes that means edifying the truth. Sometimes that means admonishing for good works, whatever that would mean. But that's preeminently my calling. And so I don't see social media as separate from that calling. Many people would view their uh, social media accounts as something extra or really compartmentalized off from their day-to-day job or their pastoral work. For instance, I will follow or see something that a a pastor of a fairly well-known church may post, and I'm thinking, my goodness, if this is the way you proclaim the scripture every Sunday, it's just mind-blowing to me that people actually come to your church. Mm. And so I don't want to compartmentalize my social media away from my calling because my calling in Christian ministry is preeminent above and beyond, far above and beyond my social media account. So I want to encourage people. I have to constantly remind myself, though, that I'm not their pastor 
And therefore, I'm not spiritually responsible for what they believe or how they articulate that belief. So it's not my job um, as um, a fellow social media, Twitter person, Facebook person, Instagram person, whatever the case would be. It's not my job to pastor them. So I am going to present truth. I'm going to stand boldly for truth. I'm going to comment on truth. I'm going to love and like truth. I will even point out error on a number of different levels, but it's not my job to be their pastor. So Mm -hmm. social media could be a tremendous place where we encourage and edify one another while also learning from one another as iron sharpens iron. But sadly, it's become a place where believers gather really to measure the depth and width of our holiness or to put on display why we're right so that everyone else considers themselves wrong. And so that that's not what I want to do. That's not my calling. That's not my purview. Some people do that and they do it quite well. Um, but we're just there to share the truth, uh, to share the scriptures. And uh, that that's really been my goal from the beginning. I don't know why people like it. I don't know why people follow it, uh, but I'm, I'm quite thankful that they do. Well, we could and just always, end right there always, and put that on repeat, know, you know, it was so good. That's, that's, good. Uh, that's good wisdom. I, I mean, I, I had um, Nate Pickwicks, who you're very good friends with Dustin, uh, yes. had reached out to me not too long ago because um, my account just kind of blew up over the last um, few months of 2020. And he mentioned to me, he said, um, if you tweet truth, you're going to get followers. It's that simple. Mm, just, mm. just focus on tweeting the truth and re- recognize that some people are not going to like the truth. And I can't even imagine someone not liking your tweets, but I'm sure that you get a lot of people that argue against you or try to stir up trouble, but you seem to stay away from that. Um, are, are you conscious about that and deciding not to engage? There, there are times where I've seen you kind of respond to things that were being said. What, where do you draw that line as well? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, yes, I would agree with Nate that if you post truth that people will follow, just simply because I think at the moment, Eki, the church is starving for the truth. So there are believers everywhere across social media platforms. And if what I'm seeing on social media is any indication as to what they're hearing preached Sunday after Sunday, then it's an indication to me that they're not receiving the biblical truth. And so um, that's what I want to post. But yes, it's been an interesting uh, journey by way of how I engage with people or how I do not engage with people. Um, I've taken the approach of having very little engagement. Now, some people do not take that approach, and that's perfectly fine. They do extremely well by way of dialogue back and forth. Number one, because of where I am um, with work and ministry and responsibilities, I just don't have time because it could literally be a full-time job. So I get up in the morning, and if I open social media, I'm like, when do these people sleep? I mean, when, when do they eat? I mean, they're posting all hours of the night. They're engaging all hours of the night. So really, um, if someone has a question, and I think it's a genuine question, 
And I see that their avatar, for instance, is not some crazy thing, but it's an actual photograph of you. Um, and if, if they have a genuine question and not an accusation, then I'm very happy to engage. Um, we used to call them in seminary quest agendas. So in other words, if I can read between the lines and tell that your question is not promoting your personal ideology and agenda, I'm very happy to engage with you. I've met some great friends on Twitter um, that have messaged me privately and asked me questions and we'll begin to dialogue back and forth. I'm very happy to do that. But if you're coming to me to accuse or you're coming to me to just take the, the word through the mud, or you're coming to me with an agenda to promote because my account has quite a few followers and you're hoping to jump on that bandwagon, then I'm, I'm just not going to engage with that. Um, th that's not my purview. I, I don't want to waste my time with that because you've already made your mind up. There's no desire to learn. There's no desire of humility. There's no desire for wisdom and discernment. Your mind is already made up before you engage the post. Yeah. Don't throw your pearl before swine. Absolutely. That that's a verse that I often have to remind myself of. There's a lot of wisdom in that brother. And I think I lately, especially I've seen several other guys talk about the wisdom in doing things like not platforming people who we know are just spouting poor theology for the sake of what appears to be their own gathering and following and, uh, and things like that. And so I, I've been really affected personally by your post. In fact, I remember um, when my thought, when you, you first follow my account um, back at some stage, I don't know how long ago that was, but I thought, oh, maybe I should go through and just make sure my tweets are edifying. Cause I, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so I, I, I appreciate that. In fact, it was uh, so the, so the Lord's really used you just for in my own personal life. And Eki probably has some of those testimonies too. In fact, I got a double whammy. Not many people know this other thing, but I got a rebuke uh, from Paul Washer's ministry, <laughs> and 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 you follow my account in similar time frames, um, and it was uh, a, a loving thing from a brother that I know that works in Heart Cry, and you know just kind of pointing me back to scripture. And uh, I think at that stage I had the tendency to give guys space that I shouldn't, you know, give. Um, but anyway, so that's been really encouraging, and I have seen. I only bring that up because. I have often seen comments on your post of guys who, you know, the way you um, present on social media has caused them to take a step back and say, you know what, am, am I being edifying? Is this, you know, in Ephesians 429 thing, am I, am I putting out edifying and uplifting stuff or is it, you know, something else? Um, it, you know, maybe that's a good lesson why we shouldn't tweet at 340 in the morning when we're trying to sleep and not all with it, but, um, but in well, any case. I, I, I will say Nathaniel, the drafts folder is kind of my best friend. So um, <laughs> we, we, in, in other words, tweet when you are angry and you'll make the best tweet you'll ever live to regret. And so I yeah. tweet, mm. but it always goes in the drafts folder. And then I'll go back to that drafts folder and think, my goodness, what was I thinking? What kind of sinful thought was I having at that moment or angry thought? And it, it, it's a really good kind of temperature gauge of one's life and one's thought process. But I will say social media is not a hill to die on. 
So um, some people act as if it is the local church. It's not mm. the local church. Yeah. My Twitter account is not my pulpit. What you do in a pulpit or behind a pulpit um, as, as a pastor, as a preacher, or behind the word in a Sunday school class or whatever, that's the hills you want to die on, not social media. Social media will be here and gone tomorrow, but your investment into people's lives in the local church through Sunday school, Bible studies, men's group, women's groups, whatever the case would be, those are the hills we want to die on. That's where our time and investment must be. Mm. Well, and I like what you said when you talked about how you viewed social media as really just kind of an extension of your pastoral ministry. It's not yes. that you're directly pastoring over people that are on the internet. They each have their own church and their own pastor that you know they should be listening to and following. But really, I, I think what I'm hearing you say is that you want to share some of the same wisdom you share with your own church, but share it out on the internet because there's a lot of people that are not getting this kind of wisdom. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And your your social media account has to be an overflow of your own spiritual walk with Christ and your own ministry. Mm. And so if that is any kind of, again, a temperature gauge for who you are in your growth and holiness or what your ministry looks like, for some people, that's going to be quite dangerous, isn't it? Because I'm looking at your posts or I'm looking at what you're engaging with or I'm looking at the language that you're using and, and, and so on. And I'm thinking, you know, that person obviously did not read their Bible this morning. There's no way they could have spent time in prayer this morning and then come across with something of that nature. Or on a much bigger scale, as we're seeing at the moment, there's no way that their worldview mm. is is seen or viewed through the lens of scripture if that's their conclusion about blank event. And so it's really a gauge, isn't it, of our holiness, of our um, spiritual lives, and it must be, it always must be an overflow of what we're taking in. So when you see me post a list of various things with scriptures, well, I've been reading that. I mean, that, that's what I've been thinking through. That's what I've been meditating on. And I'm thinking, well, this may be encouraging to someone else, so I'll, I'll, so I'll put it on there. And so People ask me if I plan my tweets and if I go through all this type of thing. No, I don't plan any tweets. I may schedule two tweets a year. You know, if I'm going to be on an airplane for 15 hours, I may schedule a tweet, you know, pray for me since I'm 30,000, you know, feet in the air that I'm, I'm not crashing at this moment. But um, I may schedule a tweet uh, once or twice a year. But these are instantaneous thoughts. These are things mm -hmm. I'm meditating on, things I'm reading, things I'm thinking. That's what my Twitter account is. And, and I think that's, um, that, that's a great insight there that you're in the word, you're constantly meditating and thinking about things. Your tweets, it's very easy on a surface level just to see how edifying and encouraging it is, mm -hmm. and especially for those who understand the scriptures, they see where it's coming out of. But talk to talk to us about the importance of good theology, because you mentioned worldview, and worldview is driven out of a good theology. Talk to us about the importance of a good theology in all, in all this, because people may look at your tweets and say, yeah, he's just so encouraging, and then they miss out on the fact that it wouldn't be encouraging if your theology wasn't right. Right. No, that, that, that's a good point. Um, when we talk about theology, I can't help but think of R.C. Sproul, who taught us everyone is a theologian. Mm. 
And we would say that very simply, but I think it's so important because we would obviously say that there are good theologians and there are bad theologians. There's right theology and there's wrong theology. Now, I'm not talking about secondary issues because us three, for instance, would have differences in various secondary matters. But primary issues, scripture, God, Christ, redemption, the spirit, the church, sanctification, etc. Those are the things that we can get behind. Those are the things that we want to raise the banner high theologically on social media and, of course, in ministry uh, preeminently. But those are the things that we want to put a, a stake in the ground and say, this is where I stand and I can do no other. And so there, there's a couple things that I think theologically we have to use, if you will, as a filter through which our social media comes. So I would say, first of all, um, a commitment to God's word. Uh, that is a commitment to God's truth as revealed in the Bible. It's not my truth. It's not my made-up truth. It's not a truth that I dreamed up or had some audible voice out of heaven tell me. No, this is in the scriptures, in the 66 books of what we call the Bible. We're called to proclaim what God has revealed about himself, man's sinful condition. We're called to proclaim the gospel of Christ through the cross and the resurrection. So if you're committed, first of all, to the Bible as the inerrant, infallible, sufficient revelation of God to man, then you have forfeited any other identity of who you are all of your other identity by way of public square engagement, by way of political affiliation, by way of social causes, etc., must flow through your belief and commitment to God's word. And so if the word is not informing how you view all of these other areas, then you can rest assured your theology in all these other areas is going to be an error somewhere. A second commitment, I would say, would be a commitment to God's glory. So a, a proper biblical social media account, if you will, doesn't seek glory for itself. Uh, so in a day when celebrity status has seemed to really sweep through evangelicalism, those committed to God's glory have no desire to point to themselves they have no desire to point to their own platform, but they desire in all things to give God glory while recognizing that their ministry on social media is merely a delegated ministry from him. Hmm. So I have to, I have to think, you know, some people, some people may not even consider social media as being a point of judgment by God, but absolutely I think it is. How in the world can we have a microphone to 20, 30, 40,000 people and not be judged for what we're saying mm. and not be judged for how we're promoting ourselves or the platform by which we're promoting ourselves? So I would say developing a good theology must flow out of a commitment to God's word. It has to flow out of a commitment to God's glory, and thereby you get sin right, you get redemption right, you get scripture right, you get God and his holiness right. 
But then I would say a good theology also flows out of a commitment to God's people. Um, and I would just simply say that, you know, throughout the Gospels, we read of Jesus's compassion that he had for people. Now, it's good to have a right theology. That's great. Yes, we want proper theology. But if you do not love people, if you do not desire to feed people God's truth, desire to care for people with God's love, then you cannot imagine that you have a legitimate theology because your theology must flow to people. It, that's why we're not monks. That's why we don't sit in a cave. That's why we're not on a mountain waiting for Jesus to return. Our theology must flow in love and graciousness because we care for people. And as men of God called into ministry, we want to see them conformed into the image of Christ. That's what good theology does. And then finally, and I've taken too long on this question, but finally, um, a commitment to God's gospel. Uh, that has to be the result of a good theology. And it seems every day, guys, I see more and more people redefining the gospel. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's because of an erred theology. You cannot redefine the gospel if your theology is correct. And so today for many, the gospels become nothing more than a wax nose that we can shape that becomes palatable for the culture. But if you do not know the biblical gospel, that is Jesus's sinless life, Jesus's substitutionary death upon the cross, Jesus's triumphant resurrection over death, hell, and the grave, Jesus's glorious ascension and current intercession, if you are not committed to that exclusive gospel message, you may have a platform, but you certainly don't have a right theology. Mm. And so a commitment to God's word, a commitment to God's glory, a commit to, commitment to God's people, and a commitment to God's gospel, I think those in essence flow out of and help shape a right theology. Brother, that's a good, I think leaves us at a good segue into uh, the next question is you've talked about scripture being your standard. You've talked about letting your social media flow out of your own Bible studies. And um, as Eki mentioned to me in, in private a week or two ago, um, it's very clear that you are a gifted homiletician. Um, your homiletical skills are, are pretty fantastic. So talk to us a little bit about um, your Bible study process that leads to um, application of those, you know, when you tweet, you, you, you have a general format, it seems I mean, you break it down. And oftentimes I think, man, I should be, when I, when I get to where I'm preaching in that book, I'm going to come back here. So I bookmark that because it's such a great outline, uh, but talk to us a little bit about your, your Bible study process and how it leads you to develop the applications that you do. Well, Nathaniel, I, I really appreciate that comment. Um, I, I don't see that. Perhaps we as individuals don't see. Um, we, we're always striving to, to be better, to, to answer the scriptures better and to know them better. But I, I really appreciate that that's, that's um, the perception of, of my account. And it, it would be preeminently my desire to be the perception of anyone who would hear me preach or teach the scriptures. And there's really no secret um, 
there's no special sauce, if you will. Um, being in the text, that's the answer. Living in the text. That is living in the text in such a way that it becomes the lens through which we view the rest of the world. And I've commented on this just a little bit, but I'll say it again. I think the problem today with too many believers is that we compartmentalize various sectors of our lives. So my involvement in the local church, my family time, my politics, my engagement in the public square. And so what happens is we begin to silo each piece, if you will, of this puzzle as independent from one another and therefore requiring a different reaction or a different application. When in actuality, all areas, that is our whole lives, should be filtered through scripture that we may properly discern how to live, how to act, talk, and love in all of these areas. So when we don't live in the Bible, it becomes insufficient in all other areas, and we fail to apply it properly. So that's first. You have to live in the Bible, not just your favorite parts, not just your favorite books, but reading and meditating upon it all and seeing how it all fits together. If you don't have a daily Bible intake, don't expect to rightly interpret the word when you go to it. If you are not meditating on scripture and reading scripture every day, don't expect to be able to give an account. Don't, don't be able to expect to, to give an answer for the hope that is within you. And so then you need to understand the context. That's what I'm looking for. The moment we become preeminently concerned with what the text means to me, is the moment we lose our ability to properly interpret and hear what God is actually saying through his word. And so at that stage, what the text means to me doesn't matter. Let me say that again. Amen. What the text means to me has no bearing whatsoever. It does not matter. My question is, what does the text mean? Period. And once I arrive at what the text actually means, what is Paul saying? What is Moses saying? What is Peter saying? Then I can begin to apply it to my life and heart. And what I think we see so many people doing is we see people saying, what does the text mean to me? And when they see what it means to themselves, then that causes them to like Jesus's words more than Paul's or mm. Paul's words more than Jesus's. Mm. And so Jesus's words begin to mean more than Paul's words mean. And I follow Jesus and I don't follow Paul where, well, right then you've just canceled the inerrancy, sufficiency, mm. authority of scripture. You can't circumvent these steps and expect to arrive at a proper application hmm. because after all, there's a right application and there's a wrong application. Now, let me say there may be many applications. That's the beauty of God's word, but there is definitely a wrong application and that's what I want to avoid. So it's about living in the scripture. It's about finding the context of the scripture and hearing what the scripture actually says. And then, and only then can I say, 
what does the Bible say to me? You, you know what I love about what I'm hearing you say, because we talked about having a good theology, but I think what you're really establishing here is that you can't have a good theology without having proper hermeneutics. Yes, you need to be able to yes. come to the text in the right way and to be able to interpret it the right way, not simply just eisegete, uh, but we want to engage in the process of faithful exegesis, really understanding what the text says. But yes. I think I'm hearing a second thing as well, and what comes to mind is John Stott's idea of two worlds, right? Mm -hmm. Going into the biblical world to understand the text, what it meant to that original audience. And once you've done that, then you can come into our current world and figure out how it applies to today. Because what I'm hearing from you is that as you're studying, you have a constant awareness, both of what it's saying in context, as well as how it's supposed to apply to today. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's only doing the first that I can properly arrive at the second. Because when I flip-flop those and I'm looking at what it says today rather than what it said then or what God intended it then, um, or what Paul meant, what Jesus meant, what Peter meant, etc., then I always arrive at the wrong conclusion. I'm allowing my own framework to be the framework through which I'm interpreting scripture. I'm allowing the culture. I'm allowing my culture. I'm allowing where I am in the UK or where I am in Kentucky or my local church or my family status or my economic status or my color, whatever the case would be, I'm allowing that to be the lens through which I interpret scripture. No, I want to see and I want to hear what the Holy Spirit says and what he originally meant. And then I can properly arrive at what it should mean today. Amen. Yeah, that's such a, a big thing in, in today's world. I think oftentimes I see people jump for application before they ever ask the question, what is the meaning? And maybe there's just a, you know, a misunderstanding that those two things are different, meaning versus application. That's a, that's a lot of good wisdom. I also particularly liked um, how you point out you know, when you're using social media, or you're tweeting that if you're if you don't have a habit of living in the Bible, you can't expect, you know, what you're putting out there to reflect those truths. You you can't expect to have good theology if you're not living out of Scripture. Yes. Um, and, and I just I thought about your earlier comment, you know, when do these people have time to eat or sleep or, or, or whatnot? And yeah, it's probably a good question occasionally to step back and say, you know, am I spending more time on social media than I am in scripture? Um, and that, well, Nathaniel, every single week, I have a little thing flash across my phone that tells me how many hours of screen time that I've had. And that little notification is a, a sword piercing my heart every single week. That's like the Holy Spirit coming down and speaking to me. Uh, and of course, I say that tongue in cheek, but it's you, you literally, a, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's literally a gauge by hmm. which I can determine if, if I get a notification that I spent four hours a day on my screen, six hours a day on my screen, my goodness, how many times could we read the Bible a year if we took four hours a day and read the Bible? Now, I don't mean that in some sort of quasi super holiness or super spirituality, but I'm just saying if we took that amount of time and dedicated to actually what really mattered, hmm. actually the real 
matters of life, investing into someone, prayer, Bible reading, loving and spending time with their families, I can assure you the church would not be in the shape that it is at the moment. Hmm. Good words. Um, I, another question I would ask, I mean, in terms of your own personal spiritual journey, who would you say were some of your primary influences? I mean, obviously Jesus Christ and, and God in the Bible, but were there certain men in your life or certain resources that proved to be extremely crucial for you as you were growing in faith? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, of course, there would there could be men that I would mention that no one would know their name. Uh, and I think that's the beauty of the kingdom of Christ, isn't it? That um, those who have impacted us most, perhaps they don't have a platform. They, they wouldn't even know what Twitter is. They, you know, they wouldn't even know how to operate a phone uh, or an iPhone or uh, whatever the case would be. And so quite early on in ministry, I would say that it was those type of men, uh, some pastoral relationships that I had of older men who were pouring into me by way of encouraging me uh, to uh, pursue certain spiritual disciplines, how to study the scriptures. Um, quite early on, I was called very early in ministry. I didn't really know what that looked like, uh, but just kind of announced to my church that that was the direction that God wanted for the trajectory of my life. And certain older men at that moment in the church began to really pour into me. So those names, uh, those men will be front line, uh, in the front of the line in heaven, uh, in glory. Um, it certainly won't be me. Uh, and so others by way of theological influences for me, I would say, um, outside of scripture, of course, Augustine, he, he would be, uh, the church father that we most normally would go back to by way of, of um, those reformed doctrines that we so love. Uh, coming up to the period of the Reformation, I would say probably Calvin, but Calvin not for the reasons that many would associate with him. So it, it's not Calvin in regard to the grand doctrines of grace, though I love Calvin on the doctrines of grace. Uh, it was actually James Montgomery Boyce that taught me more about the doctrines of grace than Calvin did. Uh, but Calvin preeminently on the Christian life. So Calvin taught me how to pray. Calvin taught me what sanctification looked like. When we come up to the Puritan era, I would say a major influence upon me was John Owen because he taught me how to kill sin. Uh, not that I'm an expert at that because I fail every single day of every moment but he did instill within me some glorious biblical principles about killing sin and what it is to deal with indwelling sin. I did my doctoral work on Jonathan Edwards, so my PhD work is on Edwards, and I would say probably I've lived with Edwards longer than I have any other man in church history, so he has had, had major influence upon me uh, as a preacher, as an um, individual who views the affections and what the affections look like and the role that they play in gospel work and, and gospel proclamation, uh, preaching, etc. Um, Edwards, I've learned a lot about spiritual disciplines from him, um, as well as other areas. I could have a whole podcast just on his influence on my life. As we come nearer to time, um, into the time in which we live, 
Ian Murray told me uh, one time in a letter correspondence that I was having with him, uh, founder of Banner of Truth, he said in one of his letters one time, he said, Dustin, don't neglect Spurgeon. And I always took that to heart because I feel like sometimes in our grand intellectual age that we perhaps neglect those who don't have the proper theological education that we feel is necessary to teach us. That would be Spurgeon. That would be someone like Martin Lloyd-Jones. But Spurgeon forgot more than I will ever know. And Spurgeon has been a constant wellspring of joy for me. Um, it seems every morning that I read, morning by morning or evening by evening, that God works through that to speak exactly to a situation that I may be going through. And so Spurgeon has been of extreme encouragement to me um, in discouraging times, depressing times. Um, yes, I would encourage your readers, read Spurgeon, don't neglect Spurgeon. So those are some of the men, both named and unnamed, that have had grand impacts on, on my life and, and theology and ministry. Mm. Wow, what a list, brother. Um, yeah, I, it makes me want to go read some more of Spurgeon stuff right now, actually. Um, well, Brothers, we kind of get close to time here. I, I really got two more kind of questions I'd like to ask. And, and the first is kind of geared towards maybe uh, giving some wisdom to young seminary students and, and then to pastors. And um, I'm thinking of, you know, today's world as, as a seminary student, you're, um, you know, you're in school, you're trying to study the word, you're, you know, being equipped for the ministry, but you're bombarded by uh, the temptation to get a social media following, um, mm. you know, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram. And I see a lot of these young guys more and more, uh, I get on and I see that they have 20, 30,000 followers. Um, and it sort of seems like they, you know, you could, you could easily get caught up in, mm. in that sort of thing. What would your advice be to those young guys who maybe they, um, you know, they're on social media, they're active, but they're in seminary and they're trying to balance things and decide, you know, what's wisdom, what's not wisdom. Wh what would you say to those folks? Yeah, that, that, that's a good question. Um, in, in thinking through, I'm not um, that far removed from seminary education. I'm actually involved in seminary education every day uh, on the campus at Union. But in regard to social media, I would say it would be very far down on my list of things that we should not neglect. Um, and I think um, that would be a good way to answer this question just by giving a couple things that we should not neglect in our lives and ministries as seminary students, as constant, um, constant uh, learners, if you will, of scripture, um, students of the Bible. I think, um, obviously, from our conversation, um, I would say this evening, it's more midday for you at the moment, but don't neglect the Bible. Don't neglect your daily intake of Scripture. So nothing should crowd out your daily Bible reading. Nothing should crowd out your daily Bible reading. Uh, I dare say that you'll make time to eat. Uh, approach the Bible like you would a meal. 
uh, because it is food for our spiritual souls. Mm. That would go along with, secondly, I would say, don't neglect the spiritual disciplines. So Bible, prayer, meditation, fasting, evangelism, those things we see in scripture that God through the Holy Spirit uses to conform us into the image of Christ. You will not be conformed into the image of Christ apart from these means by which we are transformed from one glory to the next. Paul told Timothy, train yourself, discipline yourself for godliness. And so you cannot neglect the spiritual disciplines and expect to grow in the Christian life. Mm. I would also say don't neglect church history. Um, we tend to be biblicist, which absolutely I'm all for that. Amen. Um, but we want to be experts at Greek and we want to be experts at his, uh, at Hebrew and we want to be experts in Paul or Jesus or whatever the case would be. But I would say don't neglect church history because my, how much we can learn. And I would just say this as a footnote to that. Yesterday's heresies are today's heresies. And if you know church history, you'll know that there is nothing new under the sun. And everything we are facing today, for instance, what's going on in evangelicalism now in the States, in the United States, is the same thing that destroyed evangelicalism 30, 40 years ago in, in Europe. Mm. We need to learn. We need to, we need to sit down at the feet of these men and women who have blazed the trail before us, and we need to learn. That's, that's the lesson of Hebrews 11, isn't it? I would also say don't neglect biography. I love Christian biographies. Um, my favorite, probably written by Ian Murray, Jonathan Edwards, of course, um, but biography can be a great source of encouragement. I would encourage listeners to choose one or two people that you would dedicate your life to studying their theology, mm -hmm. studying their sermons, studying their thought. Most of us aren't genius level enough to take on more than one or two. Um, you know, some people can, but do not neglect the lives of others, tracing God's providence, seeing God's providence throughout their lives. Don't neglect theology. We talked about that, that at the beginning, both systematic theology as well as historic theology. Pick a theology book and be always in a book of theology, whatever that would be. Always be reading good theology. I would say just because I love them, don't neglect the Puritans. Um, uh, perhaps that's a, a funny statement, but they will confront your sin and you'll like it. I mean, you will like it when they do. Uh, they will raise your affections and they will help you see like a diamond, the facets and the multifaceted beauty of God in Christ and your affections will raise that social media and a platform will not even matter to you. You will so be caught up in delight with God. I would say also for seminary students who feel that they've arrived at a place of intellectual ascent and that nobody can really teach them anything because after all, they're in seminary. I would say don't neglect older believers. And that would go along with don't neglect the older church. Find Find that guy who don't know how to operate a phone and sit at his feet and learn how he blazed the Christian life. Learn what a husband he was. Learn what type of father he was. Learn how he went through World War II and 
fought in the trenches of Vietnam and, and all the rest of it and still maintained a godly life and godly disciplines. Find that older woman that can teach you how to properly rear children and all of the rest of it. And so do never, ever, ever feel that you've arrived. Uh, do not neglect older believers and don't neglect your local church, the greatest source of encouragement and learning and education, sanctification, fellowship, worship. You cannot cut off the local church and expect to grow in Christ. And so th those are just some things that I would say, do not neglect those things. Mm -hmm. If you want to grow as a seminary student or just a regular Christian for that matter, um, do not neglect these things. And I would just simply say as a conclusion to that question that it's so vital, it's so vital that we understand that social media didn't appear anywhere on that list, but it's from that list and all of those things that social media is the overflow. Mm -hmm. Never seek a platform, seek Christ. Mm -hmm. That is our preeminent example and he is our preeminent, uh, our preeminent goal. Amen, brother. Good words there. That, that is that is absolutely wonderful. And I, and I what I love is, as I'm listening to you list all those items out, there's, and we cannot separate ourselves from God. We cannot separate mm -hmm. ourselves from fellow believers, those whom we can learn from, um, theology and all that. But one of the things that came to mind, especially as you were reminding us about church history, it's the fact that God's word never changes. His truth mm. never changes. And because his truth never changes, that means we have a lineage of believers who studied the same word with the same convictions. And there is so much that we can learn from them um, mm. just by reading them and understanding them or sitting at the feet of elder saints within the church. And on the flip side, looking for opportunities to be able to disciple those who are less mature or newer to the faith. I mean, this is, mm. this is really what church life is about, wouldn't you say? Yes. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, as I said, just briefly, that that is the example of Hebrews 11, isn't it? I think that's why the writer of Hebrews reminds us of the heroes of the faith. Um, don't neglect them. Um, and then at the end of Jesus's Beatitudes, when he's talking about persecution and, and the joy of persecution and rejoicing in persecution, Jesus says something quite peculiar there. He says, don't forget the prophets. Mm. In other words, no church history, know what God and how God dealt with the men and women that have blazed the trail before us. And then we come to Hebrews 11 and we see that the prophets he was talking about were sawn in two. Their bodies were rendered asunder. Their hair was plucked out. Their beards was plucked out. Their heads were chopped off. I mean, don't neglect the prophets. How desperately we can learn from others that have blazed the trail before us. Amen. Yeah. Amen, brother. Um, well, you've given us a lot to think about. Um, and so I'll, I want to go to Wales and uh, study under you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm yeah. tempted to do. <laughs> um, well, you know, my wife and I both are Welsh ancestry. So uh, uh, I, I, I often say my wife is a Viking because she's her, her family's her family's <laughs> fully Norwegian on one side. And so but um, well, anyway, brother, let me ask this. Are, are there any projects that you're involved in now that you want to share with the audience? Uh, where can we go to learn more about what you're doing? Like I said, I'll link the your podcast in the show notes. Um, any good books you'd recommend on history or maybe just one good book 
you'd recommend for those guys who have been sold on the importance of church history? Uh, and is there any other way we can, yeah, we can support you or people can, can support you, pray for you? No. Well, thank you for, for that. Um, just thinking over, um, a couple of projects at the moment, there's a couple of writing projects that I'm involved in. Um, I, I have a, there's a, a work that's coming out the beginning of next year about the church. It's called the loveliest place. Um, you, you'll be seeing that it's on the beauty and loveliness of the church. Mm. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that will serve people. Um, I've just founded, we haven't announced, um, yet, uh, officially, but I've just founded, uh, at Union School of Theology, what's called the Daniel Rowland Center. Daniel Rowland was an 18th century, um, Welsh Calvinistic Methodist leader of the great revival during that period of time, phenomenal preacher and pastor. Um, the Daniel Rowland Center is going to start translating Welsh works from church history into English and publishing those works. So the center will be about academic engagement in that period of 17th and 18th century Welsh church history, as well as Welsh spirituality, uh, really the tradition of where Lloyd-Jones comes from, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And so I'm director of that center. And so we're really hoping that it's going to get some really great works out that have been uh, previously unknown because they're in the Welsh language and have not been available to the vast majority of the church. And so we're going to start translation projects uh, and other fun things. And so um, I've kind of nerded out about that um, over the past little bit, but I'm, I'm very excited to get that venture started. Um, there's a couple other writing projects that I'm involved in. Uh, I'm thinking through uh, a book on um, uh, confronting dead orthodoxy. So that is intellectual assent uh, to the gospel, intellectual assent to the Christian life, void of the affections. Um, at the moment, as I see the church uh, in the U.S., particularly in, in the U.K., but also the U.S., I see almost a flip-flop, if you will, um, of, of true spiritual leadership being replaced. Um, al almost pastors are seen as secondary uh, within evangelicalism, within the Christian church. Pastors are seen as th those guys when actually they're the ones on the front lines. And we've replaced that with very high intellectualism mm -hmm. uh, and intellectual assent. And so it's an old heresy. It goes back to uh, the uh, 18th century, and it's called Sandominianism. Uh, Andrew Fuller uh, attacked that, that heresy. Um, so again, it's having intellectual knowledge with no gospel affection. So it's all the mind and void of the heart. So I would like to address that in a work. Um, we'll see how that goes. So uh, if that's anything that perhaps you can pray for, um, please pray for that. Um, yeah, so just the social media accounts, my, my podcast are just kind of the overflow of preaching and, and Bible study. And the past several podcasts have been from sermons that I've preached locally here in Wales, uh, since I've been here. So again, it's just, it's just that overflow, you know, uh, of, of everything. So 
so yeah, that that's that's where I'm at. That's what I'm doing, and uh, I really appreciate that um, that you've allowed me to be on and talk to you. It's been such a such an enjoyable time. Amen to that. No, I've I've really enjoyed just hearing from your insights, and even as I'm listening to you, there's so many thoughts that are running through my head that I'm I'm looking forward to to, to kind of writing down and, and thinking through. So yeah, and I'm sure our listeners were, were blessed as well. Thank you. Well, brother, yeah, like Aki said, we appreciate you. And uh, Lord willing, we can have you back on sometime in the future. This is really good stuff. And so, you know, for our listeners, I would just say take time to chew on this hour podcast. It's such great, deep truth that we all really need to consider over and over again. And so uh, thank you again, Dustin, for joining us. And uh, thank you, our listeners, for joining us. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.